Um, getting bad at this. I only did point one, so we're going to go point two today. Uh, we looked this morning at the fact that he's not like any other man. He is absolutely unique. Um, and now I want us to consider the fact that he's not like any other God. Again, they, they said of him there in verse 46, Never man spake like this man. And one of the things that the Lord spoke of often during his ministry, and even, even in this, even, uh, even this very text, as he declares to them there in verse 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He that believeth on me, he that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. These, these things, these announcements or pronouncements that he made, during his earthly ministry, made, again, made him stand out, not only from any other man, but from the reality of his deity, from his Godhead, as he would proclaim to these folks, as he would proclaim in his preaching, that he was the God-man, that he was the one sent from God. That he, he spoke of his relationship to his father. He spoke of his relationship to time and the fact that he is eternal. The, these things he constantly went over and over in his ministry. And so he, he was uh, proved himself over and over again as unique among men, but he is also unique among gods. The gods of this world... Uh, depended on their devotees for everything. Go over to, to Romans chapter 1 real quick. Notice with me here. Verse 21. Romans 1 verse 21. Paul here describing the condition of mankind. And the reality of, of God before men and God making Himself known fact that, that man knew Him from the creation. He says in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Man came to a place particularly 
after the flood. We have the example there in, in Genesis chapter 11 with Nimrod and his building Babel there in the Tower of Babel. It was there that man began to raise up other gods that he would worship and follow and serve. And man knew God. There was, there was no doubt that God was. There is no doubt that He was in control of everything. They knew that. We have the witness of that. Even them coming out of the flood, those, those generations there following after the flood, what was the reason they built the, the tower for? So that, that they were going to get up into heaven where God was at. Now it was not so... They, they would somehow be in a position where they could worship Him. That was not their purpose. They were getting into a position where if He's ever going to drown us again, He's going to have to drown Himself. They were lifting themselves up, trying to get where God was. Trying to elevate themselves. And it's from this, this time, it is from this very intrusion of man's thinking here that God turned them over, as Paul says there in Romans chapter 1, that these gods of man, these religions of the world, began to increase. That it is from that division that we read about there in Genesis 11, when God confounded the languages and separated man at that point, that they carried those gods with them to all the parts of the world. As we've talked about before, it's the, it is that, that reality that dumbfounds archaeologists and anthropologists studying the, the world religions because they cannot figure out how is it that these people separated by oceans worship the exact same gods. They had different names for them, yes, because of the language differences, but, but the Mayans and the Aztecs would worship, are worshiping the same gods as the Egyptians. But they tell the same stories about them, they have the same attributes, and they, they just can't figure out how, how these, these, two, these two groups of people separated by oceans on two different continents of the world are worshiping the same gods and telling the same stories about those gods. In fact, the Mayans, they would tell about uh, one of their chief gods was the snake god. And the snake god made the big god mad. And when he, when he made the big god mad, he actually had legs. And the, the snake god made the big god mad. And the big god took his legs away. And then the snake god had to crawl around on the ground from that point forward. Where does that come from? We wonder. You see, it's, it's th this, this reality, the reason this is the case, the reason this is the reality throughout history is because they all came from the same place. And God divided them. There in Genesis chapter number 11, they departed from that place. They carried their religions, they carried their gods to them, to these other places. And their gods are based upon their own imaginations. They are based upon their own stories that they have for them. And the reality is their gods are absolutely dependent on them to continue. Go over to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter number 46. <clears throat> we begin reading there in verse 1. Now, this is God's plea to Israel. Isaiah writing 
this prophecy to Israel, declaring to them God's anger and their subsequent judgment because of their sin and following after these very idols that the nations around them had raised up and were following after. These kings of Israel particularly, and later on the kings of Judah, they begin to bring in these gods of the nations around them. They begin to give credence to them, begin to honor them, would raise them up in the, the high places and in the groves, and they would go in there to worship and then at the same time come in and try to worship God at the temple. And try to do both. Trying, trying to, trying to appease their families, trying to appease the nations around them. They had, they had did everything against the law of God that God had commanded of them and they had intermarried with those nations around them. They had brought in these beliefs that God had told them to stay away from. They had brought in these idols and were worshiping after these things. And this is God's plea to Israel that they would open their eyes and see the reality of where they were before their God. And Isaiah writes these words of God here. Bell boweth down. Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beast and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaded. They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden but themselves are gone into captivity. What's he talking about there? What is Isaiah writing about? These two major gods of the nations around Israel at this time, and now here they are worshiping these same idols within the land of God. Here, Baal and Nebo, these two gods, God says of them, they, they stoopeth and they bow down. These two idols are laid down. And in order to, to get these idols where they want to get them, they have to tie them to the beast, to the, to the, to the oxen, and have those oxen drag these idols wherever they're going to put them. These are gods now. This is God's whole point as He's declaring this to the children of Israel. These are, these are gods that they are honoring. These are gods that they are worshiping. These are gods that they are bringing sacrifices to. And yet these gods are absolutely dependent on man for everything. That, by the way, is not a god. If it's dependent upon... My God is absolutely independent of any of His creation. He don't need me. He don't need you. Praise God, He allows us to take part. But He don't need us. You see, it's by His grace that He includes us. Baal bowed down, Nebo stupid. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaded. They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. These, these two gods that God is speaking of, these two gods, these idols that man was worshiping in this day, could not do anything for themselves. Hearken unto me, he says, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. 
which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even at your old age, I am he, and even to whore hairs will I carry you. I have made, and I will bear. Even I will carry, and will deliver you. To whom will ye liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that we may be like? They lavish gold out of the bag, weigh silver in the balance, and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. They bear him up, Bear him rather upon the shoulder, they carry him and set him in his place, and he standeth from his place, shall he not remove. Yea, one shall cry unto him, yet can he not answer nor save him out of his trouble. Here they were dragging these idols to the place. They were raising them up, setting them up in their, in their particular locations. They were putting the gold on them. They were putting the silver on them. They were fastening them in their places. And then they would bow down and worship these gods that they made with their own hands. And cry out for these gods to deliver them. And those gods could not even deliver themselves. And God says... I have made you, I will carry you, I will supply for you, I will provide all that you have need of. He is the only, the only living God. The only living God. Remember this, he says in verse 9, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. I love verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. This is a God that does not need His creation. This is a God who is independent of everything. He is transcendent. He is above it all. And yet He includes us by His marvelous grace. Allows us to take part in His work and what He is doing. But it is He alone, it is by His power that He works and does as He pleases in His creation. He is not moved. He is not moved by the desires nor is He moved by the whims of man. His will stands and is always done as He sees fit. My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. These gods, these gods of man, cannot help themselves. But our Lord Jesus, He did 
And He does everything for us. He supplies all our needs. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 15. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. Paul says here, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. This is remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Not that he was without sin, but the fact that he was tempted, that he was tempted like we are. We read this morning there in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14 concerning the birth of our Lord that He would he would come by a virgin birth. And the Bible says there that He would be called Emmanuel. God with us. That's remarkable. That's unique. That's absolutely nothing. Else that the world doesn't have anything else that even is close to this reality. That the living God steps in to our place. He comes in to, to, to our realm. He comes in to, to time and space and takes upon Himself flesh in the likeness of sinful flesh, the Scripture says, and He dwells among us. But not only does He dwell among us, but He goes through life. And His purpose is to live that perfect, sinless life. He gives Himself wholly to the the obedience of the Father. And the Bible tells us He learned obedience. And I, I still can't wrap my mind around that reality. But our Lord, He lived giving Himself wholly, devoting Himself wholly to the will of His Father. He lived a perfect, sinless life and kept, fulfilled the law of God perfectly. Not just outwardly, but in His heart. He fulfilled the letter of the law and He fulfilled the spirit of the law. He kept it completely. Without sin. Perfect righteousness. And it is a righteousness He earned in His obedience of His Father. Now He did this for us. While He was doing that for us, while He was living that life, while He was doing the will of His Father, while He was being obedient in His service, while He was looking out to do everything the Father had sent Him to do, All the while, He's being tempted like as we are. And He endured the same temptations. He endured the trials. He endured hunger. He endured all the things that you and I face. All the things that we go through. And He did so perfectly without sin. 
completely, 100% obeyed his Father to earn righteousness. Not because he needed it. Because I needed it. And he gave himself completely to do the will of the Father, to earn that for me, to earn that for you. And he's now become our great high priest before the throne of God, knowing everything that we face, knowing everything that we need, knowing all of the trials and the tribulations that come upon us, but not only how they come upon us, but how it feels in us. What it's like for us. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Paul says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's not like any other God. He lived among us. He faced the same trials. He faced the same tribute. And even more so. Even more so. Let me tell you for a fact. I know this for a fact. The temptations that Satan poured out on him, you don't have a clue about. We, we know what it is to be tempted. We don't know what it is to have temptation. You, you can't, we can't even begin to imagine the temptations that He poured out on our Lord. Three of them are detailed for us. But the Bible says 40 days and 40 nights He was tempted of the devil in the wilderness there. That was before He began His ministry. Satan didn't stop there. He didn't stop in the wilderness. You know that temptation went on throughout our Lord's ministry. And He endured it. Could have spoke Him out of existence. He could have got rid of that tempter there in the wilderness. He could have just, that's it, Satan, I'm done with you. And and it'd been gone. But He endured it. God with us endured it. For us. To be for us what He come to be. God with us enduring that temptation to be for us a God who knows all about us. That knows even how we feel. He is righteous and is just in all He is and all He does. The philosophers of ancient Greece, they, they lamented the fact that their gods 
that they worship, the gods that they told stories about, the gods that they built idols to and temples to, the gods that they offered sacrifice to, they lamented the fact that their gods were just as wicked as they were. Sometimes more. And they debated in themselves, why should we worship such gods that are more wicked than we are? And yet they would continue on and they would build even bigger bigger temples and offer bigger sacrifices and build bigger idols and would continue on in that that wickedness. But we serve a God. Our God is absolutely righteous. Absolutely holy. Absolutely perfect. There is no wickedness in Him at all. No sin in Him at all. He is He is perfectly righteous. Isaiah 45 Isaiah 45 and verse number 18 and 19 Isaiah 45, 18 and 19. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it, He hath established it, He created it not in vain, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. He is absolutely holy. He is absolutely righteous in all things. He lived among us, as again Hebrews 4.15 says, yet without sin. Yet without sin. What other God of man took upon himself the sins of his people and then died for them? And they don't even make that claim about these idols of gold that they raise up. They, they don't even make that claim about the gods of their own imaginations. But the true and living God did exactly that for us. He took upon Himself the sins of His people. Suffered the punishment for us on the cross of Calvary. Died for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. Paul says there in verse 20, Be ye reconciled to God. 
says that's what we are. We're ambassadors of God. We're to declare His grace and mercy, what He has done for us. We're to declare that to others. We're to go forth being that, that, that ambassador for Him, declaring what His message is, what He has accomplished for us in Himself, and what He is, what he is working on our behalf. Be ye reconciled, He says to God. And then He says in verse 21, For He, that's God the Father, For He, God the Father, hath made Him, God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. Brother Tom Bird, I was listening to Brother Tom preach on this particular passage several years ago. And Brother Tom says, just, just for a moment, he says, put your name right there where it says us. He said, just put your name right there and see if it fits you. God the Father hath made God the Son to be sin for Clint Keith. Who knew no sin. Speaking of God the Son. There was no sin that was ever a part of Him. That He was absolutely righteous. He was absolutely holy. As the Scripture says, He was separate from sinners. He was undefiled. There was no wickedness in Him at all. He declares Himself, Satan has nothing in me. He knew no sin. But He became my sin. That we, he says, might be made the righteousness of God in him. That reality is the only way you and I have a place before the throne of God. Without this, without this righteousness on us, we don't have a standing before Him. Without this righteousness on us, we don't have a place to come in before His throne. But because of this righteousness, Paul says for us to enter in boldly into His presence. We have, we, because of this righteousness, the way has been opened before us that is through His flesh, Christ Jesus' death for us, and that through Him, through that veil that is His flesh, He has opened the way before us and made the way before the throne of God open that we can enter in at any time into the presence of our God and bring our praise, bring our worship, bring our petitions, bring our honor, bring our Lord, bring our glory. It's open for us. And he says, enter in boldly into that. You don't have it. You don't have it any other way but Christ Jesus our Lord, who is unique above every man and unique above every God. Because he's the only living God. The only living God. John 1. John chapter number 1. And verse number 14.
Well, I don't think I can read verse 14 without reading verses 1 through 3. So let's just jump over there and read that. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word, Christ Jesus our Lord. He was with the Father in the beginning because He is God. He is the one who created all things because He is God. uh, Colossians chapter 1, Paul tells us not only was He the one created He's the one that keeps it in place. All things consist in Him, he says. The reason we're still spinning on our axis this morning, the reason we've not rolled off into the sun, is because Christ Jesus holds us in place. The reason you drew breath in your lungs this morning is because Christ Jesus put the breath in you. All things consist in Him. The big things and the little things, all of it is in His power. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. It goes on to say, verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 11, he says, He came unto His own, His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. Which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man but of God. And the Word was made flesh among and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ Jesus our Lord is God from eternity that took upon Himself flesh and dwelled among us to go to the cross for us to redeem us unto God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In all that He did, He displayed the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1, Paul says here in verse 1 through verse number 3, Hebrews 1, verse 1 through verse number 3, He says, God, who at sundry times 
and in divers manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, when he had by himself, I love that, when he had by himself purged our sins. I I don't have to do anything because I can't do anything. I can't take care of any of my sin. I can't wash any of them away. I can't get rid of them. If it's left on me, if it's left on my power, my sins are still all over me. I can't rid them myself. But Christ Jesus... Oh, He, by Himself, rid me of all of them. Those of yesterday, those of today, and even those of tomorrow. He's purged them all. They're all gone before the throne of God. That there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He has by Himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. What God, what God of man has ever took upon Himself the sins of His people and died for them? What God of man has ever even come close. There's none like Jesus. None like Jesus. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter number 5. Verse number 2. Sorry, John writes here, he says, verse, verse number 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, set forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. 
He had prevailed, the elder says. Notice the authority as he came and took the book. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He alone He alone is worthy. One more passage. Go back to Acts 17. Acts chapter number 17. Verse number 24. Acts 17 verse 24. This is Paul. He's coming up Mars Hill here, next to the city of Athens. And he tells them as he comes up to where the Epicureans and the Stoics are meeting together and they're arguing over which God is the better God. and They're philosophizing over their philosophies. and Paul comes among them there and they had an idol there on that mountain that simply said to the unknown God. They had idols to all of their gods, or monuments at least, to all of their gods on that hill, but just in case they missed one, they had to the unknown God. In case they left one out, in case they were careless and just forgot one, they had to the unknown God. And Paul tells them that he perceived that in all things, he says, ye are too superstitious or also religious is what he was saying there. I see you all are religious as well. For as I passed by, he says, verse 23, and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. I love what Paul says here. (laughs) He says, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him... Declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, 
Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth, seeing he giveth the life to all life rather, and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day into which He will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Paul declares unto them there, that unknown God is Christ Jesus our Lord. There is none, there is none like Jesus. Not among men, not among gods. There is none like Him. He is the living God. The living God. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer.